Thank you for joining us for our current sermon series at City Baptist Church. And this is Pastor Paul, and right now we're in a study of the life of one of the most well-known individuals in all of Scripture, King David from the book of 1 Samuel. As we study the highs and lows of his life, we'll see that in every circumstance, God is working for his glory and for our good. We are so thankful that you would choose to grow in your faith with us. And if there's anything we can do for you, we would love to hear from you through our website or social media accounts. We really do believe that God is changing lives through His Word, and so we are praying that you'd be encouraged and challenged by this week's message. But just to remind us, just real briefly, since we missed a week and all of that, uh, the great Israel experiment of a king had failed. Let's remind ourselves of that. Israel had demanded from God and from their leader, Samuel at the time, who was the prophet of Israel, uh, they had demanded and said, hey, we want to have a king like the other nations. And so God had given them that and said, okay, that's fine. If that's really what you want, you can have a king like the other nations. And so Saul was made king over the nation of Israel. And guess what? He was just like the kings of the other nations. He was was not a follower of God. Maybe he started out right, but very quickly, uh, who he truly was in side kind of came out. And so very quickly that was revealed that uh, Saul was not uh, really someone who was following after the Lord. And so due to a bunch of different circumstances, his rebellion, uh, God pulled away his favor. And as we saw, even we'll see today, his spirit from King Saul and really left the people at a difficult situation because they had asked for a king. God had given them that. And now God though was going to I I guess ideally God was going to step in. That's what we're going to see today. God steps in and he begins to give them another opportunity and provides truly a real king. But this time, rather than leaving it to the people and saying, hey, you pick out whatever king you want, God tells Samuel, he says, this is who the next king's going to be. And he points out to a young guy by the name of David. And this king, this time around, this is not the kind of king that you and I would have chosen. Remember, Saul was chosen for his good looks, and he was taller than everybody else, and everybody thought, yeah, Saul's going to be the guy that is going to lead us forward. He ended up being a failure. God says, no, I'm going to show you who the real king is, and it was somebody uh, who, was, uh, who was not who we would expect. He was not the tallest person. He was not the most experienced. He was not the most good looking. In fact, we saw last week, or last time together, that it was just a simple shepherd boy. The son of Jesse living up in the hills surrounding Bethlehem, but the one thing that made him stand out, I don't know if you remember this or not, I hope you do, but the one thing that made him stand out was the fact that he was after God's own heart. This time, God says, I don't want you to look at the height of his stature. Remember talking about all his older brothers. I want to look at the heart because God does not see as man sees. He does not look at the outward. God does not care your reputation on this earth at all whatsoever. God doesn't care how you look. God doesn't care how much money you have. All God cares about is does he have your heart? And so David was identified as that one who had uh, the heart after God. And so Samuel, the prophet, was there, and he anointed David to be the next king of Israel. We saw that last time together in verse 13, where it says that Samuel uh, took the horn of oil, and he anointed him, that's David, in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. That's where we left it our last time together. So imagine this. David is there. His family is surrounding him. His brothers are there. And and they're all around him. And and Samuel uh, 
pours this oil on him and anoints him as the next king of Israel. Now the oil, you say, what's so important about the oil? Sometimes it seems kind of odd, you know, like it seems rather sticky actually and kind of gross, you know. I have beard oil sometimes, you know, and it just sort of stays with you all day every time you touch your face. Why is he pouring this oil? Well, it was a symbol, of course. It was symbolizing that David was being set apart for the calling that God had placed upon his life. We see that throughout the Old Testament. When there was a calling placed on somebody, there was this time of anointing. It also, in the Old Testament, also represents the Spirit of God being associated with someone who has a gift of service or something that God has placed upon him. And that's exactly what happened to David here. He's identified as the next king. Uh, Samuel anoints him. And now the Spirit of God, if you notice, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then we have kind of this like pause in the story. It says, just very briefly, it says that Samuel uh, went to Ramah. Uh, David uh, would have gone back to Bethlehem and, and just pursued his normal job. But the fact is that David did not go to his normal job that day. He did not go to his, uh, back to, you know, his menial task the same as he was before. David did not know how, he did not know when, but one day he was going to be the king of Israel. Imagine that responsibility, that calling being placed on that young man. So we're still at the very journey or beginning of the journey to David uh, going to the throne. But as we're going to see today, as we continue in our passage, when God sets apart an individual for a purpose, when an individual, a follower of Christ, determines to pursue after God and to follow God's will, what I want us to notice this morning in our passage is that if you're pursuing God, if you're living for him, if God has a calling and a direction and a purpose on your life, which for all of us he does, what I want us to see today in our passage is that if that is the case, God will be working in your life. God will be working in your circumstances to prepare the person, to prepare the plan and the calling that God has on your life. Here's where it lands for us. If you're a child of God today, if you're a Christian, and I, and I hope that you are today, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're faithful to follow him, if you are seeking first him and his kingdom, then you do not need to be concerned with the seemingly ups and downs of life that we come in contact with. In fact, as Christians, we embrace those, both the good and the bad, because we know that our God is in control. David himself said this in Psalm 37. He said, if you delight yourself also in the Lord, he shall give you the desires of thine heart. Verse five says, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Notice, if we delight and we commit ourselves to God, then God is going to bring things to pass. He's going to work things out for our good and for his glory. And so as we continue in our passage today, that's what we're going to see happening in the life of David. We're going to see God clearly begin to work in his life and use circumstances in order to place him and to prepare him for the calling that God had placed upon his life. So we're going to pick up the narrative in uh, verse number 14 of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16. Saul is still the king of Israel. So nothing's changed there. Saul is still the king. David's been anointed. Samuel went home. <laughs> he's, just, he's just chilling at home. And this is where we pick it up in verse number 14. It says... But the spirit of the Lord, <clears throat> say that word with me, departed. Say it again. I was, that was terrible. Say it again. <laughs> departed. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Now, this is interesting. Just as the Lord's spirit came upon David for the anointing and for the calling of being the king, 
we see the Spirit of God depart from Saul. Now, here's what I want us to understand, because sometimes when you read certain aspects in Scripture without the context of all Scripture, we get confused, don't we? Here's what I want us to understand. First of all, this is not dealing with whether or not a person can lose their salvation, okay? I want to tell you right up front, you cannot lose your salvation. God says if you're saved, if you've put your faith and trust in him, he's the one who does the saving, and he is the one who holds you in his hand, and no one can take you out, okay? So understand that first of all. So this passage here is not dealing with like, whoa, Saul lost his salvation or, or, or anything like that, okay? This is not talking about the Holy Spirit's role in individual regeneration in the New Testament sense. Okay, in the New Testament, what we understand is that when following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, remember the Holy Spirit of God was given to those that placed their faith in Jesus, and we receive then the indwelling, permanent, all you're ever going to get gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John 14. He said, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Notice comforter is capitalized there. That he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him. How do we know him? For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. This is really important. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So Jesus said, when I leave this, this earth and I'm resurrected up, I'm going to make sure and I'm praying to the Father that a comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, is going to come and is going to dwell with you. Now, I love that because Jesus, remember, even said, it's better for me to go so that you have the Holy Spirit. So we don't just have a physical representation of Jesus where we have to go to, you know, go somewhere to see him or to be around him. No, he says, every single believer, if you put your faith in Christ, you are going to receive the gift of the Spirit, meaning God is with you at all times. Now, that's amazing. God is with you. Did you know that? All all the time. It's both scary and encouraging, right? That he's with you in those dark times and in those good times, God is with you. And so we receive the spirit of God. Now that's the New Testament sense. This is following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we're before that time. Okay, so I want to explain what was happening here. So in the Old Testament, before Christ, some of the people say, how were people saved in the Old Testament? Well, they're saved the same way that you and I are saved, saved by faith. They were saved by faith in the coming Messiah. We are saved by faith in the Messiah who has come. Okay, and but yet they did not receive the Holy Spirit at that time. That's why around the time of the book of Acts, when we preached that together, that was so fun, right? There was so much going on with the Spirit coming and then the Spirit coming to the, uh, to the Gentiles and the Samaritans and God showing that the Spirit is for all people. There's all of that uniqueness happening. Uh, and then from that point on, Peter said, you know, from now on, you will receive the Spirit uh, in, through belief. And so we know all of that. But in the Old Testament, they were saved by faith, but they did not receive that permanent indwelling Holy Spirit. And so what we do see, though, in the Old Testament is we see the Spirit of God come upon people for specific reasons. For some people, it was for their whole ministry. For others, it was for a moment of prophecy, or it was uh, maybe for a specific task, uh, or communicating with God, or leading God's people. Just a couple quick examples. Think about Moses. He had the Spirit of God come upon him. Remember Balaam? Remember that awesome story about Balaam? And the Spirit of God came, and, and that, that was a crazy story, right? But Balaam and uh, Samson, Zechariah, Gideon, all of these are people that it says the Spirit of God came upon them for a reason, for a purpose, and for a task. So, so we understand that, okay? And so the situation in its context, remember, we got to know what we're looking at when we read scripture. We can't just pull stuff out and be like, see, <laughs> you know, it says the spirit left them. And so the spirit is going to leave me. No, no, no. Okay. We need to understand context. We need to understand the word uh, as it is taught, uh, as it emphasizes and teaches us what is trying to be said here. But the situation is, is that the spirit came upon David for the purpose of being the king. We understand that? 
So it came on him for, to be the king, and at the same time, that spirit of God was removed from Saul. Now, that's not just because the spirit can only be at one place at one time. No, that's not it at all either. But certainly, there's a coinciding thing that's happening here. The spirit that was on Saul for a time to lead the people when he rebelled against God, God says, okay, you no longer have that spirit for the leadership and the empowering for the role of king, and now it is on David. And so that's why in the verse it says that the Lord, the spirit of the Lord departed from him. But notice what happens when the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. As judgment, God allowed an evil spirit to come and to trouble Saul. Notice what it says there. Now this evil spirit, you say, whoa, did God like create an evil spirit just for this moment? No. Okay. No. We believe in fallen angels, don't we? We know that that goes far beyond and far earlier than this time. And so God, though, allowed for whatever reason, well, we know why, judgment, allowed an evil spirit to come and to torment Saul. And because Saul did not have that Holy Spirit of God there protecting him and guiding him, very quickly, Saul was troubled by this spirit. See, Saul was free here. God allowed Saul and freed him to live the sinful, wicked, and disobedient life that he had chosen. Now, here's what's amazing. Saul had the spirit of God, yet he disobeyed him. Can anyone else relate to that? Okay, we know that. He had the spirit for this empowerment to be king, but he sinned against God. God pulled it away, and Saul just continued in his direction of rebellion. He continued to sin against God, except now it was without the restraining. Imagine what Saul would and could have done without the spirit of God in his rebellion. Well, we're going to see that as we study along. You'll see some, I mean, he kind of loses it. But the spirit then, it begins to trouble him, and Saul now is just able to do whatever he wants, but as a result of God's spirit leaving him because of his rebellion, there was now this troubling spirit that troubled him and tormented it. The idea is echoed in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. It says, where God also gave them up. That's the idea. It says, hey, you want to choose this way? You want to go this way of rebellion? Okay, And so he gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Man, you could like put brackets around that verse and just scrawl in large letters 2023, right? Man, that's our society, isn't it? That's our society. They just do whatever they want. They worship the creature definitely more than the creator. And so God says for a time, he says, all right, I'm giving you up to that. Remember, Saul had many opportunities to get right with the Lord, didn't he? He had many opportunities. How many times did Samuel confront him and say, you are sinning, you're doing wrong. And yet he continued on to do what he wanted to do. Well, eventually it hit the point where God said enough. I'm giving you over. I've chosen another who's going to be king in your stead, one who's going to worship and follow after me. And you now are free to pursue your own lusts and your own desires. And it leaves him in a position of torment, of depression, of fear. And throughout the study, we're going to see it progress to like just a whole nother level. But here's what I want us to see. The effects were seen almost immediately in Saul's court. Almost immediately. Let's continue now in verse 16. So the spirit of God is removed and this evil spirit is tormenting Saul. And right away, I don't know if you noticed back in 14, I'll just point that out real quickly. Uh, we'll go back to 14. It says, Saul's servant said, behold, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. So there's no like, there's no wondering what's going on. They knew what was happening. Okay, verse number 16. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp. 
And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. So they come up with this, this plan. You see this plan right here? And the plan is, they're like, hey, I think Saul's got a real problem. So let's find somebody who can play the harp really well. You know, I heard harp music, you know, it's kind of good if you're not feeling good and you're, you're kind of upset. So they said, let's find somebody who is going to be able to come and play, and uh, then Saul's going to be totally fine. Remember, these are his servants. So they're like, we need this guy to chill out a little bit. We need him to calm way down. And so let's figure out a way to do it. Let's try uh, music. Now, this, here's the sad thing. Thing. The sad thing out of this whole situation is that Saul's servants uh, are only dealing with the symptoms of the problem. They're not dealing with the root cause of what's happening in Saul's life. They're seeing him upset and he's, he's irritated and he's probably snapping at him a little bit and, you know, get that food out of my face and I don't know what he would do. He would just be upset and they're like, they're like man, something's up with this guy. And so they decide, let's treat the symptoms. He just seems like he's got a little bit of the grumpies, you know, and so we're going to try to calm him down. But the fact is, is that when you only treat the symptoms of something, it's never going to fit, uh, it's never going to fix the root cause. Now, this is such a common approach that we all share in. I want you to understand this this morning. So many of us, we treat the symptoms of our sin. We treat the symptoms of our rebellion. And we don't treat it at its root, at its core, or the cause. You know, it's so amazing that we often go through life, we go through seasons of life, where we ask God to protect us from the consequences of our sin, but we never deal with the root cause. I think this is a really important lesson that we can pull from this passage here. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter six, he says that a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither does a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns, men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. See, here's the truth about King Saul. He's not just struggling with discouragement. He's not just struggling with, you know, he's just irritated. He's like, I don't know. I'm just sort of frustrated right now. You know, and maybe a little bit of entertainment, you know, a little bit of, uh, uh, a little bit of music is going, to, is going to help me out here. Maybe a little self-care, you know, Saul. You just need to take care of yourself, Saul. Just take care of yourself, okay? It's going to be okay. No, that's not the fix here. There was a deep-rooted problem. And the deep-rooted problem is that Saul needed to repent. Saul needed to get right with God. He needed to beg God for forgiveness. He needed to call up Samuel and say, can you come on down here? I need you to sacrifice on my behalf because I need to get right with God. I have sinned. I've erred against God. That's what really needed to happen. But the problem was is that that plan is put in motion to soothe his anxious and angry heart and his disposition, the symptoms And I got to tell you, the plan isn't going to work and it's not going to work for you. And it's not going to work for me either. When all we do is treat the symptoms of something, it does not bring lasting change. It may soothe things for a while. It may calm your life and your heart and your mind down for a little while, but it's not actually going to fix the problem. Are you guys with me? You guys with me today? Okay. I a little bit of a tougher kind of a passage, a little bit more teaching today. Okay. So I hope you stay with me. This is, this is really, really important because we often treat the symptoms. Just like when we only treat the symptoms of our sin, they will rear their head up again 
over and over and over. If you've ever experienced that like me, you know how frustrating that is. It's because we just treat the symptoms. You know, maybe, maybe you struggle with bitterness and unforgiveness. And it's a, it's a plague in your life. And ever since you were a kid and that, that family member or that person close to you hurt you, you you've struggled with bitterness and, and, and anger. And so what you do when you find yourself discouraged or you find yourself hurt again, what do you do? You, 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 you bind it all inside, right? And, and you get angry and you get upset and you get discouraged and you're like, I'm not going to forgive that person. And so how do you get out of that mindset though? How do you get out of that, that constant state of frustration? Will you remove that person from your life, right? You say, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I'm going to get you out of my life. And you, and you cut them off. You ghost them. It's all over because I don't want to deal with it. Well, are you, you may feel better in that moment because you're not going to see them anymore. You're not going to have to talk to them anymore. But have you really fixed the issue? Have you really fixed the root of bitterness and of unforgiveness in your heart? No, you haven't. And guess what? It's going to come back again. And it's going to be somebody else. And it's going to come back even stronger. And until you deal with the root of your heart and you say, I, I do not forgive people. I struggle with this. I don't trust God enough to forgive another person that is always going to continually come back and come back and come back. And it's going to be stronger and stronger and stronger until you're going to find yourself at a place where you've eliminated and removed so many people from your life. And then you're going to be just consumed with loneliness and that bitterness and that anger just continues. But if you only treat the symptom, it's just going to come back. There's so many examples of this. We could talk about sexual immorality and pornography. I mean, if, if there's ever a problem in our society, in Christian churches today, it's pornography. It's pornography and, and the objectification mindset that it develops in the heart of the individual that's involved in it. And while at the time you get upset and you get discouraged and you're frustrated with yourself and you're angry and you feel uh, all alone and nobody understands me and God can't forgive me and now I'm worthless and you, you go through all these mindsets and you treat the symptoms, you know, you throw away your smartphone, you get a flip phone, uh, you know, you get the internet uh, filters put on and you get an accountability partner and you, you soothe all the symptoms and so you finally reach a point where you're like, okay, it's not as much, it's not as deep rooted, it's not, okay, I've treated the symptoms a little bit, but unless you've really gotten to the heart of the matter, it's going to come back it's going to come back and you're going to go through that whole process again. Do you understand what I'm trying to get across? And you can apply this to so many different situations in our life, but we, we treat the symptoms. You know, we go to church to soothe our conscience, right? Well, I went to church, you know, I can live however I want. And then the rest of the week, cause I went to church and okay, it's all good. I'm a good person. But there's still that root aspect in your heart. There's that root that needs to be pulled out. That needs to be, Worked on needs to be repented. It needs to be forgiven by God so that you can be released from that and move forward free. Saul was just treating the symptom. They said, hey, let's play a little music, right? Let's get Chris up there and play a little music for him, you know? It's going to make him feel good, right? <laughs> but it's not the root cause. Saul, Saul's a rebel. This is where it gets interesting. Verse 18. Then answered one of the servants and said, this is, this is interesting. Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, send me David thy son 
which is with the sheep. Now, this is incredible. So in the middle of all this, they're like, okay, we, we need to find somebody who's going to help out Saul. And in the middle of the court, there's somebody who just happens to know David. Think about that, right? I just, it just happens to know, right? Okay, remember what I said at the beginning of the message. God's always working, right? He just happens to know this guy named David. He just happens to know that he, uh, that he can, you know, play. Uh, it says he's cunning and playing. He's really skilled. And, uh, and I was wondering, I wonder if that guy was there when David was anointed. I thought about that for a moment. I wonder if he was from uh, Bethlehem and if, if maybe he, he had seen or heard about what had happened. And so he's in Saul's court and he's like, Saul, you're so done. You know, uh, I'm just going to, I'm going to mess with him right now. And uh, I, oh, I know a guy who can play. His name's David. Now notice how he describes him. He had a reputation as a skilled musician. Uh, it, he was known to have a courageous warlike spirit. I, I believe this is speaking of his potential, not his experience in this moment. We're going to see some experience coming to his life starting next week. But it says that he showed wisdom even at his young years, and all of that testimony led him to be very highly regarded. And this guy was like, you know what? I think I know the guy uh, that we need, but I want to notice that there's one description that stands out the most, the description that would define him most of his life, where it says that the Lord is with him. I love that. Above all the defining characteristics, David was defined as somebody who had the Lord with him. I was thinking about it this week. Is that how I'm defined? A, a close friend of ours and of our church, uh, Pastor Fountain, uh, Dennis Fountain, you, many of you guys know him, and, and um, he, in the last year and a half, his dad passed away, uh, his dad was a pastor for a long time, in fact, was my wife's pastor growing up, uh, his dad passed away a year and a half ago, and a few months after that, his brother-in-law died tragically from a heart attack, leaving his wife and seven children without a father, and then just last week, his other brother-in-law passed away suddenly. They found out he had cancer. He was dead in two weeks, leaving behind four children and, and everything. And this all happened just in a year and a half. And, and, and you need to pray for the, their family. Uh, both his sisters are now widows. And, and it's, it's a lot, I know, for their family and his, and his mom. Um, but yesterday was the funeral for his brother, who was a pastor, his brother-in-law, who was a pastor as well. And I, I was able to watch the live stream for a good part of it. But as his kids got up one by one, and talked about their dad, the one thing that they all defined him as is he loved God. He loved God. And they had his Bibles there in the lobby, and he had several different Bibles, and they showed some pictures of him, and they're highlighted and covered, you know, with notes and things that he wrote. He was a man, I've only met him a, a couple of times, but he was a man defined, and it was seen in the funeral service, he was a man defined as somebody that the Lord was with him. And the, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that were impacted by his ministry that traveled from all over the United States that were at his funeral yesterday was a testimony to what God was doing in his life. And that question was in my mind as I was thinking about David. He was described as somebody who the Lord is with him. Is that your testimony? Is that my testimony? If something tragically happened to us and we had to have your funeral next week, and as we stood here on the platform and had people, your coworkers and your family members and others that are around your friends come and say a word about the deceased, would they say that I knew they were a Christian and that God was with them? There was something different about that person. Here's what I want us to understand, church, is that when you live a life that is defined by being with God and knowing God and that God is with you, here's what's interesting. People want to find you when there's a time of crisis. That's one of the things here. When they say Saul's having some trouble, Saul needs some help, they thought of not only someone who could play music well, but somebody who the Lord was with them. And here's the thing that I want all of us to understand today, and I want this to be refreshed in my own heart, is that, you know, 
us just going out and taking out our Bibles and saying, hey, you must be born again, you know, and talking to people, that doesn't always work very well, right? Sometimes, in fact, it's resisted a little more harshly. But here's what I have discovered in my life and in the life of our church, is that when people go through a crisis and they go through a difficult time, they look for somebody who's different. They do. They look for somebody who's unique. And I'll tell you what they're looking for. They're looking for somebody who knows God. Now, if you've ever experienced that in your own life, somebody who you thought would never want to talk to you about God, maybe they lost a family member or going through a crisis, all of a sudden they're open. Have you noticed that? All of a sudden they're open to talking about faith. And you know what? I want to be the person they come to when that happens. I want to be the one that they reach out to. And David is that person. Saul's in trouble. The court is like, what are we going to do? I know a guy who can play music, but more than that, he's somebody who has the Lord with him. Let's continue on. Verse 21. And David came to Saul and stood before him. So they, they reached out, his dad sends him, and he loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David, I pray thee. Remember, he was just a teenager. Let him stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. So Saul is so impressed with David. He's so impressed with his skill and his attitude and the difference that he made in his life that he makes him his armor bearer. Notice that. And he even reaches out to his dad. Now, this is about 20 kilometers away. If you were walking, it'd probably take you about three hours. If you were riding an animal of some kind, maybe an hour and a half to two hours to travel between Bethlehem and Gibeah, where Saul's uh, headquarters was. But he sends word to his dad and he says, hey, I would love to have him as a permanent part of my staff. You know, I want him to be here. And I, I am sure that Samuel still or uh, David still took care of his responsibilities back at home. But either way, this sort of arrangement is made where David now is a part. But notice it says that he made him his armor bearer. This is really interesting. Verse 23, and it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Well, it looks like things are working out. Isn't this a great, man, it's a great job for a teenager, right? You know, he's there and he's with the king. And, and uh, when the evil spirit torments Saul, David plays, he's refreshed. And everybody says, all right, great job, David. And, uh, and, and I want to I point out, there's nothing magical about David's harp. So in case you were wondering about that, like some of you are like, huh, maybe I should pick up the harp. You know, and help me out. No, no. What is it in David that makes the evil flee? What is it? What does David have? He's got the spirit of God. Okay. He's got God's spirit. So when God's spirit comes in contact with the evil spirit, the evil spirit leaves. And so David's there and he begins to sing. And I'm sure was singing praises to God, maybe singing songs and Psalms that he had written himself. And so this whole kind of good situation here comes up and it seems like everything is just working out great. Saul's got the grumpies and here comes David and plays a little bit. And, uh, and Saul feels great and everybody's happy, man. Great job. They're all high-fiving that guy who suggested David. That's a great pick. Way to go. You have a really you know, good eye for talent. Way to find this guy. Okay. Here's, here's the lesson I want us to get this morning. I know we've kind of been all over the place. Here's what we're going to get this morning. Look, look at this. Think about this for a moment. I want to stop for a moment and just think. So as followers of Christ, one of the main tenets of our faith is that we believe that God is always working behind the scenes, don't we? I, I believe it. And I hope that you believe that as well, too. We know that he's in control, not just only for our good, but for his glory. Romans 8.28 says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. In Romans 11, verse 36, it says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. So we know that God is in control. We know that God is always working things out and he's working behind the scenes. And so with that in mind, I want you to look at this story that we just covered a little bit deeper. Because in this seemingly inconsequential section in scripture, where there are no battles, there's no like great sin, 
Uh, There's no great, uh, you know, God intervening and fire falling from heaven and all of this. There's none of that happening, but what do we see? Now, this is where it gets important to look at scripture intently and and to think our way through passages. Ponder what we're reading. Here's what's happening. Get this, get this. This is so great. God has placed David, the anointed, God called, spirit filled, future king of Israel, and in the sovereignty of God, he has placed him as the armor bearer sitting next to the current king of Israel. Okay, come on. My mind's exploding right now. None of you you guys are just like, oh, okay, I get it. Okay, let me think think about this. Come on, let's think. Think for a moment. This is really, let's think deep. I know it's the morning. I mean, it's almost 11. Come on. You should be awake by now. That coffee should have kicked in. All right, think about it. David being in the court of the king, okay? He's going to learn how a king should rule a nation. He's going to be within arm's length and earshot of the rejected king. However, he's going to be exposed to the nation's economic, military, the justice system, the morality, the character of its officials. Some of the people that are in Saul's court are going to be a part of David's uh, eventually, or he's going to have to get rid of them. We're going to know about that as well, too. He's going to uh, see all of this area. And in other words, David is going to get a firsthand class, a master class in how to run a kingdom as a teenage shepherd boy. Think about that. This is God doing something so incredible. God is preparing him. And, and the message for us today is that God is in control of all things. God rules and he reigns over the earth and he alone is almighty, the Lord of hosts. He stands over his creatures in the universe, both in heaven and in earth. And as the creator and because of who he is, he has the power and the ability to orchestrate events in order to prepare us for the calling that he has placed upon our lives. Think about that. That's what's so incredible about this. It teaches us that in the normal events of life, what to us seem maybe just totally random or, or, or circumstantial, God is able to work in those, whether we consider them good or whether we consider them bad, but God is doing a work at sanctifying us and molding us and preparing us and working through us for his glory. And that's what we see here with David is God has worked all of this out and he's getting this incredible education, be able to learn about what not to do as the king so that when he is the king, he'll be able to follow the Lord and make the right decisions. This is amazing. And so my big thought for us this morning is just very simply this. Listen, if God can do that in David's life, then he most certainly is doing it in your life and in my life today as well. Here's what I mean by that. God is always preparing us for something. God is always preparing us for something. And so the question today is, what is God preparing you for today? What is God preparing you for today? Now, I want you to understand <laughs> that when God does this and he molds us and he, he is building us, there's a couple of things that happen. First of all, you have to understand and simply believe that that's what's happening. <laughs> I think too many Christians don't, don't really live life as if God is trying to teach them something. We live life as if like, oh man, it's all random and then I'm going to have this amazing, you know, emotional experience someday. No, that's not it at all. God is working through the seemingly mundane aspects of our life and he's always building us. I know you might be thinking, nothing ever happens in my boring life, right? <laughs> Others of you might be thinking, this is a terrible experience that I'm going through right now. What is it that, uh, how, how can God even be involved in this at all? But the truth is this, is that if you face life 
knowing that God is working behind the scenes is so much easier to face the ups and downs of life because you realize there's a purpose and a plan. If you've ever lived for seasons of your life thinking that God wasn't involved in your life, man, that's a terrible way to live. It's frustrating. You're always going to be struggling because you're like, why? Like, what, what is going on here? But when you live your life realizing that God is doing a work for a purpose, you can look at the challenges and the good aspects of life and say, okay, God, you're teaching me something right now. You're, you're building me. You're training me. You're getting me ready for something. I'm not going to take the time this morning to go over a whole bunch of uh, illustrations of that. But as we approach our life, we need to think and remember this story. I think it's really important because so often we just think everything's just random and God's, God's not even paying attention to us, but he is. He is. And he is building something in you. And so what is he preparing you for? It's not going to look how you think it should look. <laughs> That's for sure. I was thinking of Isaiah 55 where he says that my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, to David, this uh, maybe seemed like a cool side gig to play the harp, right? <laughs> like, sick, I'm getting paid to do what I've been doing out in the field, <laughs> you know? But God was doing something far greater. And I want to tell you that God is doing something great in your life, even though it's hard right now. Even though if you have a week like I kind of had this week, which was like, what is going on? <laughs> you know, God is, God is preparing and God is teaching and he is building something in you. But you have to look at it that way. That has to be your mindset. Okay, if God loves me, he does. I'm his child, okay? He promised that. He promised that he is always working something out for my good. He promised that there's a purpose for every follower of Christ. So if I know those things and I take the truth of the word of God and I apply it and I say, okay, this is real, then I can look at that possible layoff, that, that change that's coming in my life, that difficult relationship I'm working through right now, or that raise or that good thing that's happening to me. And I can look at that and say, okay, you know what? In all of this, God is trying to teach me something. Now, if you're not going to find that out right away. I'll tell you that. There's been so many times in my life where I'm like, I hate this, right? <laughs> Why am I going through this, right? And, uh, and, and I'm a pastor and I, I know all the right words to say, like, well, Lord, may you receive the glory in this, <laughs> you know, like, what is happening? <laughs> and it's maybe uh, six months later that I'm like, okay, I understand. I understand. I, I know why. Now I know why. But it's all about our mindset. It's the way we look at life. And some of you are going through some really difficult circumstances right now. You're struggling. Maybe you've been battling it for a long time. I want to tell you that God is teaching you something through this, but are you looking at it that way? Or are you just, are you upset? Are you angry with God? Because you don't understand. What I want us to learn from this is that God is working. God is working and he is preparing you for something in the future. I believe that God's preparing you to help somebody else. I believe that God is pre preparing you to be an encourager, to reach somebody with the gospel, to minister in a better way. The question is, is are you trusting him and are you allowing him to do that work? Are you asking those questions? God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment right now? What are you, what are you trying to show to me? What are you trying to reveal to me? Lord, how is this going to make me and conform me more into the image of your son? I promise you, if you begin to look at life in that way, 
And right now, I don't know, right now, I, I know for a fact, if I say, think of the circumstance that is just overwhelming you right now and you're thinking about right now, you, you know what it is, I don't know what it is. But if you begin to look at that mindset with the mindset of, okay, God, what are you, what are you building in me? What are you teaching me? I promise you, it'll change the way you face trials and face difficulties. It'll change the way you face even the good things in your life. And rather than being filled with pride, you'll say, wow, God, this is so amazing that you would bless me in this way, that you would provide for our family in this way. And it changes your mindset. And so realize this today, God is at work and he's preparing you and he's building you. In what way is he working in your life today? Let's have our heads bowed this morning and our eyes closed just for a moment of reflection together. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.